Once Gone, a Riley Page Mystery, Book One, written by Blake Pierce, narrated by Elaine Wise. Prologue. A new spasm of pain jolted Reba's head upright. She yanked against the ropes that bound her body, tied around her stomach to a vertical length of pipe that had been bolted to the floor and ceiling in the middle of the small room. Her wrists were tied in front, and her ankles were bound. She realised she'd been dozing, and she was immediately awash in fear. She knew by now that the man was going to kill her, little by little, wound by wound. It wasn't her death he was after, and it wasn't sex either. He only wanted her pain. I've got to stay awake, she thought. I've got to get out of here. If I fall asleep again, I will die. Despite the heat in the room, her naked body felt chilled with sweat. She looked down, writhing, and saw her feet were bare against the hardwood floor. The floor around them was caked with patches of dry blood. Sure signs that she wasn't the first person to have been tied here. Her panic deepened. He had gone somewhere. The room's single door was shut tight, but he would come back. He always did. And then he'd do whatever he could think of to make her scream. The windows were boarded, and she had no idea if it was day or night. The only light from the glare of a bare bulb hanging from the ceiling. Wherever this place was, it seemed that no one else could hear her screams. She wondered if this room had once been a little girl's bedroom. It was grotesquely pink, with curly cues and fairy tale motifs everywhere. Someone, she guessed her captor, had long since trashed the place, breaking and overturning stools and chairs and end tables. The floor was scattered with the dismembered limbs and torsos of children's dolls. Little wigs, dolls' wigs, Reba guessed, were nailed like scalps on the walls, most of them elaborately braided, all of them in unnatural toy-like colours. A battered pink vanity table stood upright next to a wall, its heart-shaped mirror shattered into little pieces. The only other piece of furniture intact was a narrow, single bed with a torn pink canopy. Her captor sometimes rested there. The man watched her with dark, beady eyes through his black ski mask. At first she had taken heart in the fact that he always wore that mask. If he didn't want her to see his face, didn't that mean that he didn't plan to kill her, that he might let her go? But she soon caught on that the mask served a different purpose. She could tell that the face behind it had a receded chin and a sloped forehead, and she was sure the man's features were weak and homely. Although he was strong, he was shorter than she, and probably insecure about it. He wore the mask, she guessed to seem more terrifying. She'd given up trying to talk him out of hurting her. At first, she had thought she could. She knew, after all, that she was pretty 
or at least I used to be, she thought, sadly. Sweat and tears mixed on her bruised face, and she could feel the blood matted into her long, blonde hair. Her eyes stung. He had made her put in contact lenses, and they made it harder to see. God knows what I look like now. She let her head drop. Die now, she begged herself. It ought to be easy enough to do. She was certain that others had died here before. But she couldn't. Just thinking about it made her heart pound harder, her breath heave, straining the rope around her belly. Slowly, as she knew she was facing an imminent death, a new feeling began to arise within her. It wasn't panic or fear this time. It wasn't despair. It was something else. What do I feel? Then she realised. It was rage. Not against her captor. She'd long since exhausted her rage toward him. It's me, she thought. I am doing what he wants. When I scream and cry and sob and plead, I'm doing what he wants. Whenever she sipped that cold, bland broth he'd feed her through a straw, she was doing what he wanted. Whenever she blubbered pathetically that she was a mother with two children who needed her, she was delighting him to no end. Her mind cleared with new resolve as she finally stopped writhing. Maybe she needed to try a different tack. She had been struggling so hard against the ropes all these days. Maybe that was the wrong approach. They were like those little bamboo toys, the Chinese finger traps, where you'd put your fingers in each end of the tube, and the harder you pulled, the more stuck your fingers became. Maybe the trick was to relax, deliberately and completely. Maybe that was the way out. Muscle by muscle, she let her body go slack, feeling every sore, every bruise where her flesh touched the ropes. And slowly, she became aware of where the rope's tension lay. At last, she found what she needed. There was just a little looseness around her right ankle. But it wouldn't do to tug. At least, not yet. No, she had to keep her muscles limber. She wiggled her ankle gently, gently, then more aggressively as the rope loosened. Finally, to her joy and surprise, her heel popped loose and she withdrew the whole right foot. She immediately scanned the floor. Only a foot away, amid the scattered doll parts, lay his hunting knife. He always laughed as he left it there, tantalisingly nearby. The blade, encrusted with blood, twinkled tauntingly in the light. She swung her free foot toward the knife. It swung high and missed. She let her body slacken again. She slid downward along the post just a few inches and strained with her foot until the knife was within reach. She clutched the filthy blade between her toes, scraped it across the floor and lifted it carefully with her foot until its handle rested in the palm of her hand. She clutched the handle tight with numb fingers and twisted it around, slowly sawing at the rope that held her wrists. Time seemed to stop as she held her breath, hoping 
praying she didn't drop it, that he didn't come in. Finally, she heard a snap, and to her shock, her hands were loose. Immediately, heart pounding, she cut the rope around her waist. Free! She could hardly believe it. For a moment, all she could do was crouch there, hands and feet tingling with the return of full circulation. She poked at the lenses over her eyes, resisting the urge to claw them out. She carefully slid them to one side, pinched them and pulled them out. Her eyes hurt terribly, and it was a relief to have them gone. As she looked at the two plastic discs lying in the palm of her hand, their colour sickened her. The lenses were bright blue. Unnatural. She threw them aside. Heart slamming, Reba pulled herself up and quickly limped to the door. She took hold of the knob, but didn't turn it. What if he's out there? She had no choice. Reba turned the knob and tugged at the door, which opened noiselessly. She looked down a long, empty hallway, lit only by an arched opening on the right. She crept along, naked, barefoot and silent, and saw that the arch opened into a dimly lit room. She stopped and stared. It was a simple dining room, with a table and chairs, all completely ordinary, as if a family might soon come home to dinner. Old lace curtains hung over the windows. A new horror rose up in her throat. The very ordinariness of the place was disturbing in a way that a dungeon wouldn't have been. Through the curtains she could see that it was dark outside. Her spirits lifted at the thought that darkness would make it easier to slip away. She turned back to the hallway. It ended in a door, a door that simply had to lead outdoors. She limped and squeezed the cold brass latch. The door swung heavily toward her to reveal the night outside. She saw a small porch, a yard beyond it. The nighttime sky was moonless and starlit. There was no other light anywhere, no sign of nearby houses. She stepped slowly out onto the porch and down into the yard, which was dry and bare of grass. Cool, fresh air flooded her aching lungs. Mixed with her panic, she felt elated, the joy of freedom. Reba took her first step, preparing to run, when suddenly she felt the hard grip of a hand on her wrist. Then came the familiar, ugly laugh. The last thing she felt was a hard object, maybe metal, impacting her head. And then she was spinning into the very depths of blackness.